Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is Sunday, July the 18th. I'm so happy to have you all in with us today. A couple of announcements. Uh, last week, the flowers on the altar space uh, were in memory of Glenn Young's birthday. Um, we, we had, they were for Pat Mills. That was a mistake. This week, the flowers are for Pat. <laughs> Glad to have you back, Pat. You too, Jim. <laughs> uh, I know that many of you who are here are volunteering for a district conference. If you are volunteering here for that day, please make sure you have completed the registration form, which we have some of them in the back. Is that what I heard? Yes. Um, there is no cost for uh, volunteers. You just need to fill out the form and you can uh, give them back to one of the committee members. That would be uh, Sister Becky, Christine, or Renee, or Don. So just fill out the form, get one to them, so we make sure that you get to eat that day. I You got Dwayne all excited there. <laughs> Medium rare? Why not rare? <laughs> um, back to school blast is the week before that. Actually, is that two weeks before that? That is coming up very shortly. It's not this coming Sunday, like a week from now. It's the following Sunday. So make sure you put that on your calendar that if you're here, that you're able to come and help and set up. Um, and if you'd like to financially help, contributions can be put in the offering plates at the back. Just mark in the memo, BTSB, Back to School Blast. Are there uh, any other announcements you have for today? Okay, so from the deacons and the uh, fellowship body, the commissions together, we'll be hosting the church picnic slash ice cream social on September the 12th. More details to be coming from the two chairs of those two groups. That's great. I'm looking forward to it as someone who loves ice cream a little too much, and also picnic food. <laughs> One uh, other thing within the bulletin, uh, actually two, where it says prayers for our community and beyond, uh, there will be two hymns built within that. Number 353, Lord, Listen to Your Children Praying, which I imagine many of you already know that song by heart. And Praise God from who, you know, the doxology old hundredth. Um, they will all be a part of the prayer. And last but not least, we will invite you to stand for our final hymn today. Are there any joys? Are there anything, is there anything you wish to raise with the community to pray about today? quiet morning. That's okay. Well then, 
you'll join me as we enter into this time of worship, listening to the music. Thank you. you'll join me in the call to worship. We, all, we call out to you, Adonai Tzidkanu, Lord, our righteousness. Come, empower us as we walk in a world that struggles to tell its left from its right. 
Adonai Tzidkenu, Lord our righteousness, who sees beyond subterfuge and biases. Come, straighten our hearts and souls, point our passes to true. Adonai Tzidkenu, Lord our righteousness, whose judgments perfectly embody justice and grace. Come, change us in this world to better follow your call, to better make it a better reflection. If you'll join in singing hymn number 50, sing Alleluia, praise the Lord.
if you'll join me in prayer. Gracious creator who brings sun and rain, who walks with us in times of trouble, who celebrates us in times of joy. We call on you in this space. We call on you so you can hear our words of pain, so we can give them to you. You who holds us up, you who offers healing, who offers peace in moments of pain, who offers peace in moments of suffering. We lift up all those names, all those troubles to you and our souls in this moment of silence. Lord, we lift these things up to you, but we also lift up to you those things that make us sing for joy, those things that make our hearts blossom for friends, for community, for sun and rain, for flowers, for new laughter. God, we cannot give to you all the praise that you deserve. We cannot properly show all the ways that we are so thankful. We find ways to give to your community, to raise the work, to continue the work of the church. We find ways to sing your praise. Praise God. It's been a while since I have preached out of the Old Testament, but today we are, and I am, we are looking to Jeremiah 23, 1 through 8. Jeremiah preached 
Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in this land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live safely. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. But they will say, as surely the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all countries where he had banished them. And then they will live in their own land. If you'll join in hymn number 323, Beyond a Dying Sun.
Thank you. Seeing as I think the only child who would come up today is my own, we'll skip the children's story today. Because, <laughs> you know, she'll just run right past me. There was a study done in 2008 in Austria at the University of Vienna that discovered something interesting. It was trying an earlier study that had been done on monkeys on dogs. They would bring a dog into a room and ask the dog to sit, to shake, to roll over, to play dead, to stay. And then the dog was given treats or praise or nothing. And they found generally that the dogs would always follow the commands whether they got a treat or not. But then they would bring in a second dog and ask that dog to do the same tricks as the first dog, ask both of them to do the tricks at the same time. And to the new dog they always gave treats and to the first dog they didn't always. And what they found is after the first dog realized that its companion was getting things and it wasn't, it stopped obeying. The dog demanded a wage for its work. Now, it did come up with a slightly different finding than they did it with the monkeys. The monkeys did the exact same thing. They would do what was asked of them until they realized that their neighbor was getting a treat and they weren't. And they would stop obeying. Now, with the monkeys, the monkeys demanded equal wage for equal work. So, if you gave the other monkey a grape, they would not accept the cucumber. Which, let's face it, a grape is always better than a cucumber. And if you know anything about monkeys, they love grapes. That's why I always have grapes in my house. <laughs> With the dogs, it didn't matter so much. They were happy to get any treat, whether it was a piece of bread or a piece of sausage, just as long as they were equally, they too were paid. Before this, humans considered themselves the only ones who worried about justice, about fairness. We, didn't, we thought that was something that made us inherently human. But obviously, dogs and monkeys also have a sense of fairness and justice, something that runs deep in them. We like having a system in which people receive fair treatment, in which they receive justice. And I wish I could say that we have achieved that in our culture, but... We continue to deal with inequality, even here in a country that does a lot better than most. But these problems are nothing new under the sun. As long as humans have had societies, it seems that humans have also had rules. Rules that try to deal fairly and with justice to the many citizens. I mean, you go all the way back, the first code was Hammurabi's code a set of rules, which oddly enough still persist in our society today. It was the first place where we see the words an eye for an eye. It's the first place where we see the idea of minimum wage. 
It even has uh, the idea of being presumed innocence until convicted guilty. But it was flawed. It couldn't escape being that. After all, we humans are a flawed species. We have things that get in our way from living the way that we are actually called to. In Hammurabi's code, in the Torah, in every ancient society, it really mattered who you were. The higher up in the social scale, the more rights you had. Men over women, free over slaves, uh, native-borns over immigrants and refugees. It didn't matter if it was ancient Mesopotamia, ancient uh, Athens. It didn't matter if it was when the Magna Carta was signed in the beginning of constitutional monarchies. It didn't even change when we wrote our own constitution in 1787. We continued to have flaws because we humans, after all, are flawed. But each time we got a little better. Each society got a little better. But it's one thing to point at a system that has inherent flaws and be like, this is how we can make it better. It's another thing when people then just ignore the rules altogether. That's what was happening in the days of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was a priest and a scholar who lived in the final days of the southern kingdom of Judah. He wrote both books of Kings. He wrote Lamentations. And the book of Jeremiah, of course, is mostly his work. And despite popular opinion or popular belief, he was a human, though I imagine he was a good friend to many. No, no, Jeremiah was a wolf anyway. There we go. Thank you, Joyce. Now, the book of Jeremiah is kind of an interesting book in terms of how it was created. Jeremiah had already been preaching for decades at this point. And then he felt the call from God to collect his sermons up along with his scribe and disciple, a man named Barak uh, bin Neriah. And the two of them collected the writings up into this single book. And some of them actually are not even by Jeremiah. Some of them are stories that Baruch collected by himself and included. There's not a, it's not chronological, it's thematic. So the first whole section is sermons, and then it moves on to some different kinds of stories, and then some legends, all built within this one book. Today's reading comes from the first section, the sermons, that explain his core message. And the core message that Jeremiah wants the people of Judah to hear before it's too late, call, go, go, follow God's justice and rely on God's grace. It really was an awful time to be living as a devout follower of God. Now, Jeremiah was born under the rule of Josiah. Josiah was the end of an age. 
Before that, there had been a roller coaster relationship with God. Every couple kings, you had a really good one who did great things, who worshipped God, who abolished idolatry. And then he, they would be followed by several kings who were just the worst. Josiah became the king at just eight years old. He was following in the footsteps of his great great grand or his great grandfather Hezekiah, who was the one who cleaned out the temple and banned idol worship. He even went so far as to destroy, uh, destroy the Nehushtan, which is a word I can never say correctly, but it's that snake on a stick that Moses made way back in the Exodus. People had begun to worship it as an idol. He was so worried about idol worship, he destroyed even this artifact of Moses. But a lot of that was undone by Manasseh, the, who reigned for 55 years. And then Ammon, his son, who reigned for two years, really did no much, didn't do much better. But Josiah, Josiah turned things around again. He threw out all the idols like Hezekiah had. He, re he restored the temple. He followed the Torah. And during his reign, they found the book of Deuteronomy. And they tried their best to enact the ancient law. But it wasn't to last. Judah was on its way out. And Josiah died on the battlefield by the sword of Pharaoh, of the Pharaoh, Necho. His son, Jehoshaphat III, reigned for a total of three months before the Pharaoh, come and took, Pharaoh came and took him away too. So Josiah's elder son, Jehoiakim, yeah, man, I'm doing all the names today, took up the crown after his brother. Now both the brothers, as far as we know in the Bible, fell far short of Josiah. But I got to at least you know, give a break to the brother who only reigned for three months. He reigned for three months. Jehoiakim reigned for 11 years. And just as Manasseh had undone all everything that uh, Hezekiah had, so he had undead everything that Josiah had, um, Josiah had done. It is at this time that Jeremiah starts to find his voice. He starts to preach. He stands outside the temple. He stands inside the temple and he preaches against the worship of idols. He preaches against this new, ancient, terrible practice of sacrificing children. It wasn't a safe thing to do. His friend, a prophet, a nobleman named Uriah died doing the same thing that Jeremiah was doing for speaking out against a king, for speaking out against a sinful country. Because this king did as if he was, acted as if he was an enemy of God. He took who and what he wanted. He taxed those who couldn't afford it. He used violence to get his way. But his time was limited. Even his power actually was somewhat limited because he was a vassal of the Babylonians. 
A king you may have heard of named Nebuchadnezzar was in charge. So he would have to send money, people, goods to Nebuchadnezzar. We know one of them at least. His name was Daniel. <laughs> That's from his story time is about the same time. But Jericho's light wasn't only oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't always have his only have his power limited, but he also had his time limited. Because he thought he could escape from this, that he could rule how he wanted to no matter what by joining the Egyptians and throwing the Babylonians out. The Egyptians chickened out and left him. And in the end, Jerusalem was captured and sacked, and Jericho was led away to die a degrading death. His son, Jeconiah, reigned for a little bit, three months. That's three months going on. But he too was taken to Babylon. And eventually it's his line that we get this guy named Joseph who is an artisan in Nazareth. It's down his line. But then we get to the king who was the last one to sit upon the throne of Judah. The one in who Jeremiah is finally speaking as loudly as he can, as clearly as he can, trying to get them to listen because Jeremiah thinks there may be one last chance to save this kingdom. But Zedekiah isn't listening. And so that's where today's passage comes in. Speaking against Zedekiah, Actually, that's not fair. Speaking against Zedekiah, the temple leaders, the officials and nobles of the palace, the whole judicial system, the wealthy, and even other prophets, because they had abandoned the covenant. They had abandoned God's rules, and they have given up on God's justice. They may have still been worshiping at the temple, but then they were going out and worshiping other gods and breaking commandments left and right. And along with ignoring that most basic commandment of love the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. They ignored that most other basic command, love your neighbor as yourself. The care and protection that God commanded them to give to the foreigners, the refugees, the poor, the orphans, the widows, was being withheld by both the people and the government. And it didn't stop there. Those that God had commanded special protection for were being taken advantage of. And Jeremiah is angry, but not as angry as, the, as God God is going to wipe away this sinful Judites in the same way he had punished the Israelites. Another nation was going to come in and destroy their nation and spread them out in exile. It had been a long time coming. Josiah and Hezekiah may have slowed the process, but the weight of the other kings, the weight of the priests, the weight of the prophets, the weight of the people's disregard and disrespect for God was just too much. And in these, the two chapters before, Jeremiah tells Zedekiah, I am about to turn against you. I'm about to turn against 
turn your weapons of war that are in your hands, which you are using to fight the Babylonians, the Babylon and the Babylonians who are outside that wall besieging you, I will turn them against you. I will gather them inside this city. I will myself fight against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm in furious anger and great wrath. I will strike down who those who live in this city, both man and beast, and they will die of a terrible plague. It's not the sunniest bit of reading. But God is saying through Jeremiah, he is going to destroy this city. He is going to destroy the kingship that he had bestowed upon David because they had broken the covenant. They have ignored the laws. Now, as I told you, the structure of this book isn't linear. Rather, it's thematic. So we actually have to jump forward to 37 to hear what Zedekiah's response to this is. And his response is, he calls Jeremiah a spy, a deserter, and a dissident. To be fair, he was a dissident. They arrest him, beat him, and imprison him. And they do all this despite the fact that everything exactly happens as Jeremiah calls it. In their embarrassment and fear, they lash out at the person and people who least deserve it. It reminds me when I was working at Friendly's. A lot of stories go back to there, I know. It was pretty early on because I was only on my second general manager, who is by far the worst manager I have ever worked for. You know, you have managers who are bad because you just don't like them as people, and there are managers who are just bad at their jobs. That was her. It was one day, Holly, the manager, was getting an inspection by our district manager. And as I said, she wasn't very good. And so our district manager is going around and telling her all the things she's doing wrong. <laughs> and we could all just watch Holly's face get redder and redder and redder. And we're all doing our best to avoid being seen by her. And got to the dish area. And our district manager reminded Holly of how you do silverware. You know, when a good restaurant, when your silverware goes back, consider the fact that you know the silverware goes into multiple people's mouths every day. I'm sorry if any of you go out to eat after this. Maybe go to a fast food joint where you get plastic. <laughs> anyway, the silverware comes back and you put it in a kind of extra hardcore caustic soap. And you let it sit in there for a while. And after about, I don't know, about every hour or so, you take it out and you spray it down and you run it through the dishwasher and you replace the water. And then you take this cleaned silverware over, you sort it all facing point up, run it twice more through. That's right, in a good place, you're getting your silverware done three times in a dishwasher before it gets back out to a person. The district manager goes off into the office to do I don't know what, leaving Holly alone in the dish room with Jim. She then turns to Jim 
And I wish I could say that she was reminding Jim on how to do it. At least that might be how she thought she was coming off. But honestly, when you could hear her everywhere in the restaurant, it sounds a lot more like you're talking, you're telling Jim he did something wrong. Because boy, was she yelling and screaming. The thing was, as she was yelling and screaming, it was while Jim was sorting the silverware after he had it in the caustic liquid, rinsed it off, ran it once the dishwasher, and he was sorting it to run it twice more through. She was yelling at the one person who always did the dishes right. She was taking all of that blame, all of that anger, all of that fear, because she was failing at her job and putting it on poor Jim. You know, in a perfect world, we humans do things because they're the right thing to do. Altruism. But sadly, we humans don't always do the things that we're supposed to do because it's the right thing to do. Instead, we need carrots and sticks. You know, I mean, that's basically what the original covenant is. The carrot is, if you all follow the rules, you do the things I asked you, you get to live in this land of milk and honey. If you don't follow the rules, you're going into exile. I wish we were a little more like vampire bats. I got a reason. See, vampire bats are maybe the most altruistic animal in the animal kingdom. Vampire bats, when they come back to their colony, will share what they found to eat with other bats who were injured or sick or couldn't leave a little one. They will help each other with no expectation of receiving it back. Vampire bats help each other because they help each other. It's the right thing to do. We humans always are weighing whether something is worth doing. Will we gain something out of it? Will, by not doing it, will we lose something out of it? Well, in the case of Jeremiah they are losing something out of not doing what they're supposed to. And it doesn't matter how much an unrighteous king thrashes about and hurts others, it's coming. The stick is coming. And it does. And Zedekiah loses his sons and then his own eyes for his sins. I don't know how to apply it necessarily to today. But then I start looking at what Jesus tells us. You know, Jesus continues with a carrot and stick. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are, will be called the sons of God. There's a carrot there. But he's shifting it. He's saying... What you do on this world that's good, you're not doing it because you want something in this world. You're doing it because it leads you to something better in the next. 
It's about walking towards the kingdom in this life and doing the right things in this world because it's the right way to walk towards the kingdom. We aren't in this room, at least as far as I know. Maybe someone here secretly is a king. We aren't the kings. We aren't the queens. I don't think any of us are judges or politicians. I'm sorry if I, you are. You're going to be held up to a higher standard than the rest of us. Just letting you know. We aren't the people in whom the law was originally meant to control. But we are the people that Jesus called to live in those laws. To walk righteously and with justice. I can't help but think if every single person in Jerusalem who wasn't the king or the temple priest or any of them, if they had tried to live justice, if they had tried to follow the law, if they said no to child sacrifice, no to idols, no to the sinful ways the king was promoting, would Jerusalem have fallen? Justice should come down from top down, but justice can rise up from the bottom. And that's what Jesus taught the disciples. Jesus was here to work with the everyday person, to get them to walk his same pathway, to be just in every step they took. So, I've drawn three things for myself out of this passage, and maybe you'll find this too. One, Pray for Herod. I liked that expression. Pray for Herod. Pray for those who are in power, the just and the unjust, that they may find God's justice, that they may live it and they may work it in this world. Number two, walk it in your own path. If every one of us walk justice in this world it doesn't matter what the rulers try there's too many of us and it doesn't matter at number three just do it don't do it because you want the carrot i mean yes god calls us and tells us what the end thing of doing it will lead you you know, there's that judgment of the nations in Matthew 25, 31, where he says, you know, those who did this will get this, and those who didn't do it will get this. But that's a side effect. Jesus doesn't call us to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to save those who are in danger. Jesus calls us to do it because it's the right thing to do. So be like a vampire bat and help one another because that's what justice demands of us and because that's just simply the right thing to do. And next time you go to look at a vampire bat, which I know we don't have around here, which thank you, remember, remember that even a creature that steals the very life from other animals 
has strong enough morals to help their brothers and sisters, and we ought to be able to do the same. I titled this sermon, If I Had a Hammer, thinking of that old, I don't know if it was Peter, Paul, and Mary who started the song, but you know, my parents loved Peter, Paul, and Mary, so I'd listen to their version all the time. I like the image of a hammer and justice, not because of a mallet that sits upon in a judge's hand, but because justice is something you actively work and do. Hammering in nails, building up. So, be like a vampire bats and actively help one another. Actively bring about justice. Thank you. Uh, please stand and join in our final hymn, number 504, Have Thine Own Way.
So as you go out this day, do right, not because of carrots and sticks. Do right because it's the right thing to do. Be at least as good as a vampire bat. Amen. <laughs>